Now, I'm not wired today because we're doing something different. We're doing something that is very rare at Church 2911. This is only the third time this has happened in over four years since we've launched. And that is somebody besides the pastor or a staff member is speaking this morning. And we've only done this three times. It's only the third time somebody besides a staff member has spoken here. And that means we do this with purpose. We don't, we don't do it just because, hey, it'd be a good thing to do. We do it with purpose. And, and the people that, that we've had, the few that we've had, I mean, it, there's been a, a reason for them at that time. And uh, I, mean, I, get, you know, I get people want to come speak all the time. But we do it when it's God's purpose. And this morning, there is purpose. I was thinking this week about how this may help you understand something that I, I kind of want to share about as I'm, as I'm beginning an introduction here. Is that a lot of times when I'm, I'm building a sermon, creating a sermon, I have to dig for it. God makes me really dig and dig and dig. And then sometimes he like drops it in my lap, you know, and it's just like, man, it just writes itself. You just typing away and that sermon's just writing itself. And that's the way it is a lot of times with ministry connections. There are sometimes I pray, God, please connect us with some people in ministry that want to do something amazing for you that we can support. We can be a church behind them and help them. And I dig and I pray for that, for that to happen. And then sometimes God just drops someone in your lap. Like this situation. Young man from Maryland goes into the Air Force. And while in the Air Force, uh, you know, is in a different part of the country, meets a young lady from Mississippi. They get married. They're called to mission work in Italy. Okay, now you all thinking about the map there already? And while, while they're in, while they're in, still in missionary work, they're in Italy, they go online and buy a house in Mount Olive, Alabama. I mean, you know, can you get any, any more real than God just dropping somebody in your lap like that? And uh, that's what he's done. And uh, so it gives me great pleasure. And listen, let me tell you something. This is the third time I will have heard this message this morning. And I am anxious to hear it for the third time. There is more, you know... Most times you don't tell people that you got a missionary going to preach for because everybody wants to stay home and it, it, you know, it, because it's all about. There is something deep in here that you really need to get that is 2911 DNA. Listen to this message this morning. It gives me great pleasure to introduce or let him come now and finally speak. Mark Tant and Shana and Fumi. Would you tell them how much we love and appreciate them? We're glad What a blessing it is to be here this morning. Um, I have to confess that the second service is kind of like deja vu. <laughs> and then by the third service, I guess you call it three ja vu. <laughs> and, and you wonder, well, did I already share that? Yeah, twice, you know? <laughs> so so it's, it's, it's more of a, a weird feeling thinking, man, I've done this thing three times today, you know? But like Pastor said, as much as he doesn't get tired of hearing it, I don't get tired of talking about it. You know, how many people get tired of talking about God or the heart of God and the vision of God and the desires of God? Absolutely not. And so as pastor said, we're missionaries and of course to Italy. When most people hear that, the first thoughts in their mind is, hey, suffering for Jesus in Italy with pasta and lasagna, right? <laughs> that's, that's normally the thought. That's normally the idea. Um, and that's the idea I had. You know, I, I got radically saved when I was in the Air Force. I was stationed down in, in Mississippi. And uh, 
And my first question to God when, when he called me to be a missionary in Italy, I'm thinking, do they need me there? You know, <laughs> did you need me to go to eat pasta? You know, <laughs> do you make sure it's good? Why are you sending me? Why are you sending us to Italy? And uh, when I began to do the research and, and start to find out why God would even call me to a place that I thought was much like America. And so when I just started doing the research, I was realizing, hey, there are 60 million Italians on this one single boot called Italy. And out of 60 million Italians, less than 1% will raise their hand and say, I'm a born-again believer. So now I'm taking a step back. I'm, back. I'm thinking, okay, God, <laughs> now I see why you're calling me. And then I started doing more research and finding out that if I was to, say, for instance, take all you guys on a bus ride this morning to all the communities and towns in Italy that did not have a church or a missionary, and we visited each one for just one single day each, it would take us 92 years to visit every community in Italy that does not have a church or a missionary. I'm thinking, God, this is a mission field. So when I got on the, on the field, when I got to Italy over... Well, over seven, eight years ago, um, as, as I get on the field and I start to, to visit towns and villages, I start learning Italian and, and speaking Italian and asking questions. And I said, Mark, let me take you to villages that don't have any Christian witness at all. I'm thinking, really? So they would take me to mountain passes where you would see village after village after village and town after town after town with not one single Christian in the whole town. And I said, better yet, let me take you up north of us, and I'm going to take you up into the mountains where you can look upon the valleys, where there are more than 500,000 people in these towns, and you wouldn't see one single Christian in the whole town. I'm thinking, wow, this is an incredible mission field. So I'm thinking, okay, God, but you've called all the missionaries, so there should be tons of missionaries in this place that is extremely needy that I'm really finding out right about now. And come to find out, over 90% of the missionaries drop out in two to five years. They go home to their organization, they go home to their denomination and say, listen, this thing is way too hard. <laughs> this is more than just coming here and enjoying pasta and sharing good Bible stories. There is a tremendous need here. So like the occult and Satanism is off the charts. We have people who are leaving the Catholic church and the way that you perform a mass or a worship service under Lucifer, they call them black masses, um, is you have a heretical priest come and perform this, this, this worship service to Lucifer. And I have Italians who are leaving the Catholic Church and now performing such things because this hopelessness that exists all throughout the Italian culture. Even the New York Times polled all the Western world, and they wanted to find out who were the most happiest people in the Western world, and Italy was on the bottom of the chart. So in the, again, on the field, like, I, don't, I didn't understand the need. You know? I, I can look at statistics, but when you're there, when you walk in the churches and there's hopelessness on every single face. When, when you walk in the churches, they've been 15 members for the last 150 years. And this hopelessness that exists. And so my question is, how can God, who's absolutely incredible, I, we, we could all search the world over Ten times or more, I never find anyone like him. I tried. Being lost, I never found anyone like him. How could God send a young couple to a place that most people run away from? 
How could God send a young couple and incredible odds that are mountainous? You want to talk about casting mountains into the sea? And these are, these are some serious mountains in Italy. How could God do such? How could God so believe in a couple to do such an incredible work in a place that's so incredibly dark? I believe it's because God believes in us more than we believe in ourselves. I believe when we begin to get the revelation of who we are in Christ, that changing cultures, changing cities and, and towns won't happen in years, but will happen in months because of the revelation of who God is inside of us. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3 this morning, verse 18. Paul goes in this incredible discourse. I always love reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, and he's talking about the glory that Moses had when he went into the mountain, right? When he went into the mountain, he was spending time with Almighty God. And so when he came down off the mountain, his, his face shone like the sun. It's just, it's just incredible. It just shone so much. It was so brilliant that he had to put a veil over his face because you could imagine there was no sunglasses during that day. There were no Ray-Bans, you know, in ancient Israel to hide their eyes from such a brilliant light that shone from their face. And Paul begins to make this incredible argument. He was saying, listen, the glory that was on Moses is fading, but the glory that's on you is ever increasing. He said, you don't even have to hide this thing. He said, with unveiled faces. So when we go into this dark world, we're not trying to hide Jesus. We're trying to shine Jesus. And so he says, with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. So Paul, in his discourse with the Corinthians, he said, listen, guys, I want to paint a word picture for you of this mirror. And this mirror is when you look, in other translations it says, when you look into the heavens. So when you go to search me out and you begin to look at me, it's as if a mirror. Because when you look at me, you're looking at you. See, we, we've often had this idea sometimes in church that humility is how bad you can think about yourself. How bad you can put yourself down. Think about it. I'm echoing now. Think about it. When, when, when you guys get up in the morning, when I get up in the morning, I'm going to scoot back over here. When, when, when we get up in the morning, right, the, the first thing that we do is we want to get ready. We want to make ourselves presentable. And so we go, we look in the mirror, right? And oftentimes when we look in the mirror, what's the first things that we think about? Oftentimes, it's our criticisms of ourselves. I was told this because I'm not a woman. It's a newscast, I know. But I'm not a woman. But I was told by other women that when a woman steps into a room, normally she judges all the other women's clothes, hair, makeup, and stuff like that to see how she matches up to other women in the room. To see if she's worthy enough. And so oftentimes when we think about ourselves or where we see ourselves, what are we seeing? And oftentimes I'm, I'm convinced, as I've talked to people around the world sharing the same message of who you are in Christ, I'm convinced that the first thing that we think about is criticisms. 
how we don't match up. My nose is too big. I don't have hair like her. I don't have hair, period, if I'm him, you know, if I'm a little bit older. I'm getting there. And we think about, you know, I'm too tall, I'm too short, I'm too fat, I'm too thin, I'm too this, I'm too that. I'm not enough this or I'm not enough that. And so we never feel worthy enough. Because sometimes we're looking in the wrong mirror. We're looking at our inadequacies and God says, look at me. Because when you look at me, you're going to see who you're really meant to be. And you're actually worthy. Big nose or not, hair or not, tall, short, fat, thin, whatever the case may be, you are 100% worthy because you were made in my image and my likeness. Let's look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. I set up my Africans in Italy, and I pulled out our chalkboard because uh, we do an African or an immigrant, I'm trying to think of the word. Uh, we, we do a service destined for, for immigrants who speak English in Italy. That's the best way to say it. Um, and so in doing so, I pulled out my blackboard, and I, and I want to share this verse in a powerful way. And so God asked me to, to pull out this chalkboard first and have them begin to list what God was like. So that's what we did. I pulled out my chalk and we began to make our list. God is awesome. God is powerful. God is love. God is gracious. You know, and we began to make this ex extremely long, exhaustive list. So not, none of us within that meeting that day could think of another word possible in Italian or English. We just couldn't think of another word because we just thought ourselves out of words and trying to describe who this incredible God is. I said, listen, now I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, that you were made like what? In his image and in his likeness. So when you say God's powerful, how did he make you? Since you were made in his image and likeness. When you say God is awesome, how did he make you? Who do you take after? Do you take after your father? Abba, our daddy in heaven. See, we oftentimes limit the fact that I take after my, my real dad. I, I may have his eyes. I may have his hair. I may have his facial features. I might look like mom. I might have her chin or I might have her height or whatever the case may be. But if you trace it back further, it starts at God. And we take after his image and his likeness. Sure, Adam messed up, but Paul told the Romans that the second Adam is greater than the first Adam because the second Adam is God. And so the restoration that the second Adam brings is far greater than the mistake that the first Adam made. So in Christ, when I begin to describe who God is, I begin to describe who God made me. See, I'm not talking about Christian pride. Again, we're trying to deal with this situation that I often see of humility. The more I can put myself down, the more I can say I can't do it, I, I can't become, I can't, I can't, I can't, is somehow humility, and it's not. I'm not talking about Christian pride. As pastor said, we bought a, a house in Mount Olive, $13,000. That's pretty cool. 
But see, what banks realize in America is that a house without a family is a land full of junk. It's useless. There's nothing you can do with it. No matter what it says on paper it's worth, it's garbage. It's nothing but a bunch of debt that nobody wants. It's useless without a family that lives inside. The family is the one that brings value to the house. Think about if you went to Hollywood right now and you said, listen, I want to go around to the stars' homes. What makes the stars' homes valuable? The home or the star that lives inside of it? The star that lives inside the home makes it valuable. It's the family, the person, the individual inside the home that makes the home valuable. What about a hospital? Thank God for hospitals. But a hospital without patients is what? A land full of junk. A Maserati, a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, whatever kind of dream car that you may have, without a driver, it's nothing but a fountain or a, or a flower bed on your fl- front lawn. It's worth nothing. And so it is with you and I. Our value comes from what's inside. Knowing who we are in Christ can change the fate of nations. This is why God can send a young couple to a destitute nation. I don't have 100 people behind me. I don't have 100 missionaries. Sometimes I have to travel three and four hours just to find another missionary. How could God do that? Because he believes in himself. He believes in the gifts and callings that he puts inside of us to transform nations. Let's look at it again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. And Paul begins to make this discourse all over again. And he begins to, to talk to the Colossians about this incredible mystery that was handed down and now is revealed to us through Christ Jesus. And this is the mystery that was hidden for ages. And it's Christ in you the hope of glory. So this mystery that prophets wrote about in the Old Testament, what they dreamed and envisioned, what they prophesied about, now is the time in which you and I live, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. See, a Christian isn't a person who just shows up on Sunday morning for a good song and a Bible teaching. You are the most powerful thing on the face of the planet. You are the most powerful thing on the face of the planet. There's not a nuclear weapon that's stronger than God. There's not an army, an aircraft, an aircraft carrier, a tank, a nation, an individual. There's not a virus, a bomb, whatever that you can think of as the most powerful things on the earth right now. There's nothing more powerful than the God who created the earth, who holds it in the palm of his hand, who decided to live in you and I. Let's think about it this way, the way that God showed me years ago, is in the Old Testament, we see God visit people in powerful ways. So one of my favorite places to start is when God showed up to Moses. And I could just imagine the feeling Moses had. It's hot, you know, he's probably thirsty, and he's in the desert, and all of a sudden, there's this burning bush. (laughs) He's thinking, that's interesting. Am I hallucinating? You know? And all of a sudden, this, this bush begins to communicate with him. Moses, you can imagine what he's thinking. The bush knows my name. You know? and Moses. And then God begins to call him over because he wants to chat with him for a while. 
And as Moses is coming closer to this bush, God speaks to Moses and says, listen, the ground around this thing, even the bush itself is holy, so take your sandals off because you're standing on holy ground. That would have been an incredible sight that the very roots from this bush going into the ground made even the dirt around there holy. To where Moses had to take his sandals off because he's standing on holy ground. Let's fast forward, Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai, God's resting on Mount Sinai, charged the whole top, thunder, lightning, fire, you name it. Incredible sight. There's, there's even a, a documentary about the real Mount Sinai, and they go through this process of the charred rocks and so forth. It's absolutely amazing knowing that that's where God was resting. That's where his presence, his glory, and his power was resting. Then we fast forward a little bit further because God give, gave Moses this this download of this elaborate tent called the tabernacle. And the tabernacle wasn't the part that was important. It was this wooden box called the Ark of the Covenant with two cherubim, two angels on top. And God made this promise. Listen, wherever that box is, that's where I'm going to be. So you see this box put in pagan temples and the very pagan statues fall over and their very heads are chopped off because of the presence that was around this one wooden box. It wasn't that big. It's probably a lot bigger. This one wooden box. Immense. Incredible. You couldn't enter the Holy of Holies being around this wooden box. Just happenstance. There was a presence around this thing that was intense. When you, you could imagine drawing close to the tabernacle and feeling it. There was a, a tangible awe of God just coming close to that place. You can imagine coming close to that burning bush, this tangible awe that was there. Going next to Mount Sinai and standing before this massive presence of Almighty God, this tangible feeling, this sense of awe, this sense of holy that was there. Let's fast forward one more time in the Old Testament. Solomon, of course, built this temple, this house for God. And when this thing was dedicated to God, when God's presence came into that place, people could even stand to their feet because it was so awesome. Let's fast forward one last time. And the only time we have to fast forward from here to here till Jesus comes. From that time of Solomon's temple till now, God made a brand new pact with us, a brand new covenant. And he said, listen, I'm going to take that same presence that was on the bush, that same presence that was on Mount Sinai, that same presence that was in that box, that same presence that was in that temple, and I'm now going to put it in you. So you now hold the very awesomeness of God. Worship, right? comes from the old word, worth ship, a vessel that carries the worth of God. That's where the word comes from, because you have God Almighty living in you. The revelation of who you are in Christ and who God is in you will radically change this world. That's why 12 men with one in particular who fell, 11 men could turn the world upside down. It's because they knew who they were and who God was inside of them. This is why God could entrust two, 
two young people, a young couple and our eight-year-old son to one of the darkest places on planet Earth. This is why God could entrust Mount Olive to Church 2911. This is why God can entrust America with Church 2911. Because he has people who are filled with him who can transform a nation. This is who you are in Christ. Again, this isn't Christian arrogance. I'm not trying to brag on the house as much as I'm trying to brag on the one who lives in there. Because oftentimes our worship songs, we begin to brag on God who is in heaven, right? And we begin to use all these elaborate words like on, on my chalkboard. And we begin to sing about how awesome God is and how powerful God is and how holy God is and how wonderful God is in heaven. But God cannot separate from himself. The same God who exists in heaven is the same God who exists in you and I. So he can't separate how awesome he is. Jesus told us that he was going to send one who was greater than he, who was the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus left all glory, stripped himself of it to come to earth. The Holy Spirit is full of it. There's no stripping. Everything that he is in heaven is everything he is inside of us. This is who the church is, and this is who we are in Christ. This is why we can go to nations like Italy and, and with purpose and dream big dreams, huge dreams, that with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Scripture doesn't stop there. It says, all things are possible to those who believe. So it's not just with God, all things are possible in heaven, but all things are possible for those who are filled with God here on earth. Because we're now the very container of who he is. One thing I realized on the mission field is that my Italians have been crying out to God. Continuously crying out to God, saying, God, help us. Bring salvation to our nation. Change us, God. Do something mightier among our people. And God calls a young couple out of Mississippi and says, go. And what I had to realize is that God does not just step out of heaven to answer prayers. He answers prayers through you and I. It's through you and I that God begins to answer the prayers of nations. It's through you and I at our workplaces and so forth. When we go to Walmart or the gas station or wherever we're at and whoever we're around, we may be the answered prayer to people around us and to learn to live that way and to be that way on purpose is so incredible. So incredible. Knowing who we are and purposely living from that place will transform nations. Amen? Pastor.